Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Josh Lewis. I'm one of the ministry staff here, and it's good to be with you. Just before um, I get started, probably just some personal news. Uh, Soph and I are expecting a child in September this year. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> yes, very exciting, very exciting. Uh, we're both very grateful and um, excited, and one of us is a little bit sick as well. It's not me. Um, so, yeah, please do give thanks um, with us and also, yeah, pray for Soph and the, the child as well. Um, I don't know yet, or we don't know uh, the, the sex of the child or what the child's going to be like, um, but if you ask Sophie, it'll be a he, and he will play for Newcastle United. <laughs> and they've just had a bad loss this morning, so it may not be so difficult for him to make the team if they're in about League 7 by 2038. But if little Lewis is to become a professional soccer player, he'll have to do some training, because you don't automatically just have skills and strengths to play soccer at the highest level or play any professional sport at the highest level, because training brings about changes in you. The body becomes fitter and stronger, the mind learns new coordinations, new skills. You can physically do things after training you could not do before. You deliberately shape yourself in certain ways so you can do certain things. And the opposite is true. If you give up exercise completely, you lose your skills, the muscles leave. There is change one way or the other. What about the spiritual life? Who we are, not just physically, but as humans, as, as human people. How are we being shaped, changed by what we do and think? What do you make of this line uh, ascribed to C.S. Lewis? Each day we are becoming a creature of splendid glory or one of unthinkable horror. Each day we are becoming a creature of splendid glory or one of unthinkable horror. That sounds pretty extreme, but his point is, spiritually, we are changing one way or the other, for better or for worse. Now, let me describe two types of people with words from this passage that we're reading this morning from 1 Timothy. Here are some of the features of the first type of person. Hypocritical, liars, dysfunctional consciences, being used by demons to spread lies, causing others to abandon faith sounds almost unthinkably horrendous. But on the other side, here's a description of another type of person. Good, driven by truth, a shining example in speech and conduct, love, purity, causing others to be saved. Those are two pretty huge extremes. And in this chapter, we get a picture of some of the, the false teachers who were causing problems uh, in Ephesus and we get a picture that contrasts of Timothy, the church leader there, about how he should live and lead the church there. These two pictures represent two types of people. One, living life as it should be lived, helping others to do likewise. The other, going down a terrible route and dragging others off the rails with them. So what sends someone down one path or the other? How do you become one or the other? Well, this is what we find out as we read uh, this passage today, that the key is being nourished by the truth and allowing that truth to grow and change you. Being nourished by the truth and allowing the truth to grow and change you. 
And so we'll look at them uh, in that order, first being nourished by the truth in the first seven verses, and then allowing that truth to grow and change in verses 8 to 16. Uh, But we'll leave verses 3 to 5 at the beginning and come back to them right at the end, because they give a specific example of how the truth can operate in life. So, nourished by the truth. The fundamental difference between these two kinds of people is what drives them. See, the hypocritical teachers there, they are, they are teaching things taught by demons, it says. That doesn't mean they're possessed by demons and speaking something that they are not in control of, uh, but despite what they might think, what they're saying has a source that comes from demons, not from God. What they're saying is anti-God. On the other hand, you've got Timothy, who is nourished by the truth there in verse 6, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that he has followed. It's like two kinds of trees. Uh, One tree planted by a stream, a fresh, good stream that's sucking up good life-bringing water and bearing fruit. And then you've got this other tree that's planted by a chemical plant that's just sucking up toxic sludge into its root system. One tree gives good fruit and the other grows more and more disfigured as the poison keeps kind of working its way through the tree and produces poison fruit that has no life. Now, I doubt that any of us would think of ourselves as hypocritical liars or come to think of it, we probably wouldn't think of the people around us that way either. That's not probably the terms we'd use for people most of the time. And these people that Paul's talking about, they probably didn't think of themselves that way either. But given Paul's serious instructions to Timothy in this passage, there is an actual risk of abandoning faith. So you can really only be driven by the truth, that's one option, or by lies, that's the other option. And so what the truth is, is vital. And this this letter has mentioned good teaching and truth many times already. That's why the, I guess, the theme or the image of this series we're using is the the plumb line. And the clearest and and best uh, kind of explanation of the truth in this book is perhaps contained in chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, which we've spoken about the last couple of weeks. But here it is again. It's about Jesus that he appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. A summary of Jesus' life. The truth is a person. He is the truth. In his life, he shows us clearly God's character and the purpose of human life. He is ground zero for the Christian faith. That's where we begin and that's where we focus. And so believing the truth means trusting him. Of course, knowing and living by this truth is vital because it brings us into relationship with God. As as Paul says in verse 10 here, the living God is the saviour of all people and especially of those who believe. That is, there is only one hope for salvation for all people, the living God. It's open to all, but only actually received by those who believe and once you base your life on that truth once you trust him you find that that truth is multifaceted God's word plays out in all different ways in all aspects of life a bit like a a diamond that glints off in all different directions in this passage the truth is contrasted not just with overt 
teaching that goes the opposite way, but also with godless myths and, and old wives' tales, it says. That is vacuous, distracting uh, talk and discussion that's not nutritious in any way. And there are so many uh, misleading voices in our world. Uh, I think one really common one that our culture throws at us is just the, the sense that life is about me, individually. I am the most important thing. Most advertising you see plays to this idea. What's important is you and you being great. You need this thing. You should have this thing to make your life easier. You deserve this. Give yourself comfort and buy the thing because you're worth it. The truth says, no, actually, you're not worth it. You're not great on your own. You're actually naturally a rebel against God. But Jesus is great and trusting him means you're great in him. So knowing him means you don't have to um, try to make yourself great by satisfying yourself with other things. And there are all kinds of myths floating around that the truth speaks to. Do you ground yourself in the truth of the Bible? Firstly, in the truth of what God has done in Jesus, and secondly, how he's made the world to be. So the difference between these two types of people, these two trees, is how they're nourished. So plant yourself in the truth. Well, how do you know you're planted there? What, is it, what does it look like? Well, if you're really being nourished by the truth, it means you'll grow and change. So here we are at our, our second point, allowing the truth to grow and change you in the, in the second half of the passage. This, this passage is full of ideas about growth and change. The very idea of being nourished has a sense of growth to it. There's the idea of training. There's the idea of setting an example. Words like be diligent, give yourself wholly, watch closely, persevere. And there's an expectation that the people outside will be able to see Timothy's progress as he continues in his life. So if you're nourished by the truth, then it will flow through to the rest of life and requires diligent and careful integration to each aspect of life. And so Paul likens it to, to physical training here. He says physical training is of some value. That is, it does give you benefits. You can do things that you couldn't before. If you physically trained, you have potentially a longer life, better health. It is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Now, that's not an excuse not to do some exercise, unless perhaps you'd otherwise spend that time with the Lord. So exercise is of some value, but training in godliness has value for all things. It's much more beneficial. And we talked about godliness last week as uh, the lived out expression of your knowledge of God. Training, growing in how you live out your knowledge of God has value because it holds promise uh, for life, both now and in the future. Being diligent, working on how the truth integrates into your life means that you won't be going backwards and means that you're guarding yourself against godless myths or against false teaching and the ultimate disaster of abandoning faith. But it holds promise for life now and in the future too because work on your character now, on your godliness now, is forming a person who will continue into eternity. We were made to be like 
Jesus, a creature of splendid glory. Becoming more like him is work with a long and rewarding payoff. Becoming more like him isn't just like training for the first game of the season, because there's a whole long season that awaits. And it holds promise for life, both now and in the future. Training in godliness is hugely encompassing. It's got a massive scope. It affects every aspect of life. It even affects how you approach physical training itself. Training in godliness helps us see that physical training is of some value, but it's not of ultimate value. Realising that its, it's, it's value is real but limited. Uh, understanding that being consumed by the allures of, say, body image or feats of strength is not the way to go, but that we need to treat God as a gift and a means of doing good in the world. So how do you train for that? How do you train for life and speech that represents the truth? Well, it's about investing deeply in the truth and the connections with life, with your life, wherever it's at. The actual expression of what that looks like will be different for different people. It will utilise the roles and the giftedness that each of us have. Uh, Timothy has received a gift, a special enabling to do to, to do something here in Ephesus. We're not sure exactly what. It's possibly leadership or teaching his gift. Uh, and, and this happened when the church leaders uh, were laying hands on him and it was pointed out to him uh, by the words of a prophet. So he had this particular role in Ephesus and a particular gifting. But whoever we are, it's about hearing the truth and applying it to life. That's why... Uh, one of the things we're doing with these mission commitments is inviting everyone to read the Bible regularly for themselves, personally. That's getting the truth into you. It's sinking in. And the aim's not merely just to read it and be done. It's to, to see where it touches your life personally, to apply it to yourself and to speak to God about it. So read the Bible. Expose yourself to good teaching too good explanations of this truth, good books, good sermons, good small groups, good discussions with friends, discussions and times and thoughts that make the realities of, uh, of the truth apply to life. Recently, um, I've been trying to be uh, more alert to uh, times in the day when I feel real frustration. I've been trying to apply the truth to my life in that way. And sometimes... When I get frustrated in a day, I express that by being short with people or by focusing on myself for that next kind of period of time. I've been trying to work out why is that? Is that valid what I'm feeling or does it speak to some distortion of the truth within me? As what I'm finding is often I get frustrated when I feel like things are not going as I planned. Um, I, I guess the truth that, that I, I'm uh, uh, holding is that I should be in control well, that's a distortion of the truth. In reality, I'm not in control. And grasping at it is presumptuous and pointless. But the truth is, I know the one who is in control. And even when things feel out of my control, the truth is that he's doing those things for a reason. And it's actually for my good. If I remember that he's doing things for my good. That's what Romans 8 reminds me. See, this is a truth I'm learning and trying to connect into life. Training in godliness, that is working out the truth 
in the way that you live. It's difficult, but it's vital. And so let's finish just by tracking back up to the beginning of the passage to an example um, of false teaching and how the truth counters it and how that truth flows out into life. In those first four verses, verses one to four, we have an example of this false teaching um, deriving from demons, it says, coming through hypocritical liars, ones who put on a convincing show but are actually speaking deceptions. It says that their consciences are seared. How this has happened exactly is unclear, but their internal compass of truth has been damaged. It's no longer functioning as it should, and so it's allowing them just to plunge headlong into this mire of untruth. And so the teaching has to do with telling people not to marry, or at least discouraging them from it, and not to eat certain foods. Now, these people are perhaps still bound up in some of the, uh, the Jewish laws uh, that Jesus fulfilled, or perhaps it's also um, that the part of society they come from values uh, spiritual things rather than physical things, and that they think that some created things are unspiritual, dirty, to be avoided. The message they seem to be saying is, well, God has made some things that are intrinsically bad, so they must be avoided. There's something wrong with creation. And what we need to do, we need a more spiritual approach. We need to avoid some of these physical things. That's how you live well. Now, that may seem quite pious on the surface, but Paul applies truth to this. He says, no, you misunderstand creation. And therefore, you misunderstand God himself. Paul offers some good teaching on this topic. He says, actually, everything God has made is good. You can read that in Genesis 1. Sure, there are distortions of things like too much food or sexual immorality, but marriage itself, food itself, these are good things. You're missing something good. You're missing God himself because there's nothing wrong with these things in general only how you might receive them. The proper way to receive them is thankfulness by someone who believes and knows the truth. See, the truth changes how you engage with everyday things. Paul spells out the nature of uh, thanksgiving there. Uh, He says, uh, things received with thanksgiving are consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Consecrated means made holy, that is, Suitable for God's people, not sinful. They're consecrated by the word of God, he says. That is the truth that this is a gift from God. And we saw a picture of God's creative power in the psalm that we read and how he brings forth food from the earth. That's how the truth speaks about food. It's a gift from God. And there's the truth about what its proper use is as well. Uh, For instance, Uh, With marriage, sex is for marriage. With food, food is to be enjoyed uh, and to to, to nourish, but it's not to be kind of gorged on. It tells us that there are some reasons we may abstain from things for a time, uh, like if eating something in particular would be unhelpful for another Christian, but that's not because God has made them bad. And it's consecrated by prayer too. That is the relationship with God, not just knowing the truth, but acknowledging it to God too. If food and marriage are received in light of this truth, they're consecrated by the word of God and prayer. 
So it might seem that this is a, a subtle distinction between the way you think about things. But what's, what's at stake? Well, if you start seeing things in our created order as bad, as intrinsically uh, bad, then you miss God's whole plan, which is to redeem the world. He made things good, and then though they are broken, he's going to remake things good, including humanity. See, at its extreme, this view misses the fact that God has said, no, I'm not going to wipe everything out. It's not that I think creation is bad. I'm going to renew creation. I'm going to save those who trust in me. From this passage, some who are thinking down this line, they've got the truth about God so wrong that they are abandoning the faith. Now, I think perhaps this particular brand of false teaching isn't very prominent in our day and our culture, but this truth is very pertinent for us. I think today, rather than think that maybe created things are evil, we are liable to think that uh, created things are too good, that created things perhaps are the only thing, that the spiritual is nothing. Rather than maybe discourage marriage because we think, oh, maybe being celibate is more pure somehow... Uh, If anything, our society says, uh, don't marry, so you can keep your options open, so you can indulge in a variety of relationships. While today holding off some kinds of foods is suggested for, uh, I guess, um, health reasons, the main thrust of our culture is enjoy yourself, treat yourself, have what you want, when you want, enjoy the best kinds of food, have more than you need, just go for it. Whereas the issue then was probably the rejection of certain parts of creation, the issue now is more often the idolisation of it. I think we have an unbalanced view of created things, but the same truth helps us too. God created things good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. The solution is again thankfulness, thankfulness expressed by a knowledge of God's word, uh, that God is the giver and has made things, and prayerfulness, acknowledging that truth to God. And this truth, through training, through effort, needs to be worked through into our lives. Let's take this food example, for instance. What's your attitude to food like? Is it one that flows from the truth? What could it look like to receive it with thanks, to consecrate it with the word of God and prayer. It looks like, perhaps uh, consciously and deliberately at first, pausing to acknowledge the givenness of food, perhaps when you're grocery shopping and buying food, or perhaps when you're about to eat. The practice of, of saying grace before eating, like that's a great way to stop and pray. But if you're anything like me, that can often become more perfunctory rather than actually prayerful. Perhaps it means pausing before you've had too much, acknowledging the truth that food is really good and to be enjoyed to nourish us, but being ruled by a desire for more and more, that is not good. Perhaps it means eating slowly at times, appreciating flavours, giving thanks to God as you do. For everything God created is good if it's received with thanksgiving. So there it is, one example about gifts from God. This is just one aspect of the truth, worked through one aspect of life. So we're being shaped 
by what we believe. We are becoming something, just like physical training shapes our physical bodies and attributes in certain ways. So what we believe shapes our whole lives. And the truth in 1 Timothy, in the whole Bible, well, it's a glorious truth. It's the truth that brings salvation from the living God as it is believed. That's the foundation. And it's truth that if believed will mean change and growth. Training in godliness, the integration of truth through our lives has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Let's pray. Our Father, thanks so much that you're our creator and along with life itself, you give us so many good things. Thank you for all the parts of your creation that bring us joy. Please help us to receive them with thankfulness. And Father, thank you too that you're our, our saviour. We thank you that you are remaking us and ask that you would help us to grow, to be more like you, nourished by your word. Amen.